we are concluding this week and next week our series on the Courageous Church. We started out by looking at Daniel and all of those events in his life and the life of Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah as they stood in courage for God's kingdom. And because of that, they made a difference in this world. We then took our mission statement and we broke it down into those four words, connect, grow, serve, and go. And we said that each one of those, if we're going to be a courageous church, we need to learn how to do each one of those courageously. Connect courageously, grow courageously, um, serve courageously, and go courageously. Uh, Last week we had Paul Becker, one of our missionaries, come and he began to, to... Tell us about the, the, uh, just the opportunities out there to go courageously. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to get on a boat or a plane to go uh, overseas, that you could be doing that right here. Uh, just so you know, in Redmond, the Bethlehem Inn is expanding to Redmond. Shepherd's House is now expanding to Redmond. And there's going to be some awesome ways for us to reach out into our community as we courageously go and take the message that Jesus wants us to take into this world. But how do we do that? How can a church be healthy enough to be able to go courageously to do what Jesus has asked us to do? That's that's what today is all about. Our third word, the fourth that we're going to be looking at, but in order, connect, grow, serve. I want to talk to you about serving courageously today. And and I have a question for us as we look at God's word today. That and I need a Bible. Usually I bring one up here with me, and um, it's usually right here, and it's not. Thank you very much. Oh, this is a, this is a nice one. This may not get back to you, Aliyah. Uh, this, uh, you know what? I have one just like this, so this is, this is good. Are you sure this is not mine? It doesn't have your name in it. We'll talk. We'll talk. How can we practically live out God's command and commission to us as a church? What practical actions can we take today in our responsibility to grow and to connect and to go? Well, one of the reasons, one of the ways that we're going to be able to do that is to learn how to serve courageously one another. We're going to go to one of the writings of Paul. To, to see what he says about this. So if you'll take your Bibles, go to the book of uh, Ephesians. Now, I don't know, if you're not familiar with the Bible, I, I'm sorry that we don't give you page numbers. Maybe we should. Uh, I started to realize, because somebody gave me a Bible uh, for my birthday this last, uh, this last year, and it's the Jewish Bible, and they don't have things in the order that I memorized them. So when I was looking for Daniel, I'm going, where is Daniel? Well, Daniel's at the end of the Jewish Bible. And so it's like, wow, I now know what it's like for somebody who does not understand the Bible very well when I say, well, let's go to the book of Ephesians. And you're going, what? Uh, There is a table of contents in the front of your Bible, and the Bibles are right there, sometimes right in there in the uh, chair rack in front of you. So I apologize that I don't have the the, the number for you. But if you'll make your way to Ephesians, we're going to be in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 4 today. I do have them up on the screen today. So if you don't have a Bible, couple things. Number one, we want to give you one uh, as our gift to you. And number two, if you don't need to grab that right now, we'll have those things up here on our, on our screen. A big, bit of background, though. Paul has been uh, instrumental in the planting of the church in Ephesus. 
He had spent three years there in Ephesus ministering. Uh, it was during his third missionary journey. And so he's writing this letter to the believers there in uh, Ephesus, and, and he's writing them there while he is in prison in Rome. And he is, his, his intention is to encourage the believers there to live in unity so that they might be able to do what God has asked them to do, to live out the great commission, the cause of Christ. So in the first half of Ephesians, uh, Paul is establishing doctrine that he believes that we should be unified in, certain things that we believe, that we all say, we believe this. And then the second half of the letter, which we're looking at today, is showing how to practically live out that doctrine. So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, and I want, first of all, to look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then we jump down to verse 11 to 16, where he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So here's the main point for us today. The church works best when every member works. The church works best. We are built up in the best way when everybody understands that they have a part in what we're doing. That it's not just a few people who get paid, that they get to do it all but that we all have a responsibility to help the body become strong. Again, why? We're going to be looking at this next week. Why? Why are we strong? Just so that we can be strong? Well, we're supposed to be strong so that we can minister to one another, to love on one another, to have this place be a hospital for those who are hurting, who can come in and know that they are going to have uh, people come around them and say, you matter, we value you. And if you hurt, we hurt with you. And we want to help you find healing. But it's just not a hospital. It's also a rescue mission, if you will. Because once we find health, we are now to turn around and find those people who need to find health as well. So we are to then reach out. And we cannot reach out unless we are working as a unified body. That's the way it's going to work the, the best way. The church works best. When every member works. Paul uses here in in this little section two uh, different metaphors. One, he calls us a building. Not not like the the church building, but that we, the people, are like a building um, that houses uh, the uh, the temple of of God, that houses the altar. A a building that is strong, that is used for the, the worship of God. And second of all, we're a body. 
We are a building and we are a body. The church is designed to function as a body in this way. Um, when he wrote to the Corinthian church, Paul told us, told them that the, the, the body is made up of various members. And each one of them has various functions. They, they have their own unique function that will help build up the body. And the idea is that as, as we use our gifts that God gives to us, the body is, is brought together, it's connected together the way that God designed, and it's wonderfully complex, but we are strong then to, to do then what God wants us to do. Here in the book of Ephesians, Paul is saying that the, the body of Christ only functions as God designs it when every part of the body is healthy when every part of the body is working properly. Again, the main idea is the church works best when every member works. Paul then lays out for us the process that God uses. How does God equip the church that, uh, so that it works its best? Number one, we're, we're told that every disciple, if you are a, a disciple, if you are a member of God's family, you have been gifted for service. Yeah, now, you might have grown up thinking, I, I have no gifts. I, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't play uh, sports. I, I can't play a musical instrument. I can't draw. I, I'm, I'm not real, real bright when it comes to math. You might think, I don't have any kind of gifts at all. That's not what the Bible tells me. The Bible tells me that when you became a believer, God equipped you to be a very unique and very important, valuable member of a body. God equipped you gifted you for service. That's why there in verse 7, it says that God gifted each one with his grace. That grace that Paul talks about is not so much the saving grace, the amazing grace that we sing about, but rather what we would call enabling or empowering grace. Grace that empowers us to exercise those grace gifts that God bestowed upon us in his grace. Okay? God, uh, Paul used that word grace earlier in, in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He said this. He said, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the gen- to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul's not talking about the grace that saves him, but the grace that gave him a purpose, a grace that gave him a gift to use. And for him, he understood it was to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That was his grace gift. God had gifted Paul with this ability to use uh, his spiritual gifts for the purpose of preaching the gospel. Well, we, we read about it in other places. Romans twelve six having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So let us use them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Also in 1 Corinthians 12, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions or gives to each one individually as God has determined or as he wills. Peter talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 4, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Again, this is not the saving grace. This is empowering grace. The fact is, is that you are, if you are a disciple of Jesus, God has gifted you with at least one spiritual gift. And the purpose of that gift is not to, to benefit you personally, but to rather benefit the entire body as we put those gifts to work. Number two, 
We also find out that every church has been gifted with leaders. Every church has been gifted with leaders. Go, go back to verse 11, where he says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. See, not only did God gift individuals with gifts, he also gifted the church at large with gifted leaders. And they are either apostles or prophets or evangelists or shepherds or teachers. Now, we, we could probably take a week for each one of those and, and, and explain to you what each one of those is, is all about. But what I want us to see is this bigger picture today that though each one of those leadership positions have different functions, that their purpose, the ultimate work that they are there to do, each one, their work is dependent upon God's Spirit enabling them. It was God who gave apostles. It was God who gave evangelists. It was God who gave teachers. It wasn't just somebody who, who said, hey, you know what, I want to do this. I've got this ambition to be a leader. No, 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 no. God gifts the leaders to be the leaders. Now, what should be obvious in my many, many years of ministry hasn't always been obvious. Here, here's a test. Ready? Who was responsible to do the work of ministry in a church? What, what was that? Oh. Is it, is it a biblical idea for one guy to get paid to do it all and the rest of the people to just sit back, watch, and sometimes applaud, and sometimes not applaud? If you understand what I'm talking about. We've created a culture where this is the show. And you guys just get to come and watch and be critical. Like I'm critical of movies sometimes. Well, I wasn't sure I liked that part. I'm not sure about this. Well, somebody really needs to ought, ought to do this. So we call it the church. Well, Trey, you know, somebody really ought to do this. What are they saying? Trey, you really ought to do this. Long time ago, I, that, that's a dangerous question, by the way, to tell me or to ask me because you come to me and say, you know what, Trey, somebody really should do a, a mission meal for our Awana families. I go, okay. They go, well, somebody should do it. I go, okay. I go, what are you going to do? Oh, no, no, not me. I go, wait, wait, wait a second. If God put that on your heart, don't you think God is working something in you? If you think that there should be a ministry that we're not doing, there's a table out there in the ministry fair that just says other. Because there is no way for us to know in our limited understanding of what God has put inside of you. You might have this amazing ministry that would fit into a connect, grow, serve, or go. And we don't have that out there. That's okay. You, you need to tell us, this is what God wants me to do. And, and if God is moving you, don't you think he's probably moving other people in the same way? So it doesn't necessarily have to be you all by yourself. And we're going to get to that. So the work of the ministry is supposed to be done by the church. But does that mean that we who are leaders should just kind of sit back and watch everybody do things? No. Let's see. Um, let's look at verse 12. So Christ gave himself, himself gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, here it is, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So what is the role of the leadership? To sit back and be lazy and let everybody do everything? Now, what's my job? To equip. 
Mm. What does that mean? To equip. It means that, that we don't let people just come in and, and just run rogue or, or, or feel flustered because it's all on them. No, our job as leaders, elders, are you paying attention? Our job as leaders is to come alongside of people and help them do what they're supposed to do so that they feel like they are fruitful and fulfilled in the ministry that God has called them to do. If I just take over and say, you know what, don't, don't worry about leading worship next week, uh, D.C., I got it. I could do that. Would it be the best for our church? No, absolutely not, because you've got a gift that you need to use. And if I just take over, then you don't get to use your gift. Now, now it'll get done, but then when the one guy has to do 75 things, everything gets done really, really badly. They get done. Oftentimes, some things get pulled by the wayside. But I, I, my job, our job is not to come in and do it all. Our job is to come in and, and, and allow you to know that you are not alone, that you have the tools that we're building inside of you, that we're coming alongside of you, that we're checking in, that, that we're making sure that you are feeling like this is where God wants you. And if it's not where God wants you, then we help you find another place that you can be so that God can use you in his absolute best way possible, the way he designed you and gifted you to be. So we are equipping those who are doing the work. And who's doing the work? Well, we all are. We all are. We all are. Shame on us for forgetting that. Shame on me for not teaching that more often. Shame on me for taking things out of your hands and doing the work of the ministry all on my own, because that's not healthy. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my family. But more importantly, it's not healthy for this church. Because, yes, God gave me a ministry. But a good portion of that ministry should be to make sure that you have a ministry and that you are being fulfilled and fruitful in that ministry. Why? So that the body might be built up. And then next week we're going to be saying, so why is the body built up? Why is that so important? The word equip in verse 12, it's like the ancient Greek chiropractors, okay? Or, or, or the, the, the doctors that would take broken bones and reset them, put them back into alignment. It conveys the idea that, that something is out of whack and somebody needs to come in and, and mend something. Put it back into alignment. Same word, by the way, that we read of in Matthew chapter 4, where it says, going on from there, Jesus saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Well, if if you think about ancient fishermen, they've got these nets that they're putting down. Those nets can get gunked up. They they can break. Uh, They they need to be retied. If you've been watching the Chosen uh, series, you'll see that uh, oftentimes that they go back and they start to mend their nets again. That word mend is equip. See, that's what it's all about, is to help bring people back into alignment the way that God has designed them to do. And sometimes that means help getting the gunk out of people's lives so that they can actually uh, see clearly and feel clearly. So sometimes it's, it's to, to bring healing to people before they can find their, their ministry. You know, as you look at all the ministry uh, tables out there, there's going to be some of you that are really moved to do something. There's going to be some of you, though, who should not do anything right now because you're at a place of healing. 
you, you just lost somebody that was very dear to you. And right now, this is not the time for you to, to rush in to do things. Or, or, or there, there's something troubling going on in your family. And you need people to actually come around side of you and help you and pray for you and love on you. So don't feel, if, if you're feeling like you need more ministry done to you, then be careful. Don't just rush out and feel guilty. I, I got to go and I got to do some kind of ministry because Trey told me to. Now you let God's spirit move you to do that. Now eventually you'll need to because if you stay back too long, then you get darker and darker and more into yourself and more into yourself. And if you're finding that you are deep into yourself and it's been a long long time that you've been hurting then maybe it is time for you to step out and say is there something small that I can begin to do for somebody else but if right now God's put you in a position where you need to be ministered to then don't feel like you need to go out there and do that the whole idea is that we need to be mended and that's what leadership is supposed to do is we're to help mend you equip you in order so that the body might be built up Third, God then grows the church. It's God who grows a church. It's not a senior pastor. It's not an evangelistic team. God grows a church, folks. God grows a church deep, and God grows a church wide. But God grows the church when his people commit themselves to serve courageously. You and I will never build the church because that's 100% on Jesus who said, I will build my church. And when Jesus builds the church, guess what? The, the gates of Hades cannot prevail against it. Amen? When we build a church, oh, I'm not so sure that that can stand. But when Jesus builds a church, look out, Satan. He ain't going to win. He's got to build it. 100% him. PBCC is not my church. PBCC is not your church, at least not technically. Whose church is it? It's God's church. It's Jesus' bride. Only he can truly build it. But that will happen when the work of ministry is carried out by disciples of Jesus who have been empowered and equipped by the Holy Spirit. The body then is built up, again, as Paul states clearly, only when every part is working properly because the church works best when every member works. The other thing that's uh, very apparent in this passage is that the goal of putting our gifts to work is that the whole body is strengthened. You will benefit personally as well. I promise you that. But that's not the primary focus. It's, it's, uh, it's like an antibody to, to fight against uh, self-centeredness that, that will eat away at our culture today. We will actually be better by serving. But if you only think that the church is about serving you and your needs, then you've totally missed the vision that Jesus had for his disciples. According to this passage in Ephesians 4, courageous serving needs to have three very concrete things. Number one, it needs to have unity. Look at verse 13 again. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Paul talks about the unity of the faith. He's talking about what we believe, the, the, the doctrine of the church. Some people hate the word doctrine because it, it's so dry and it tends to drive people apart. But unity of doctrine is critical because it, it brings the most important thing for a church out of the realm of somebody's personality 
It brings it back to where it belongs, and that's God's word, his truth. There are certain things that you may disagree with another believer about, but in order to serve courageously, we must all be on the same page when it comes to the truth of God's word. Okay? Number two, discernment. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. You know, if we're not uh, serving one another, we start to bite at one another. And we begin to think, well, that person doesn't understand this. And we think that we're a little bit better. And then we, we begin to, to grab what other people from other churches or other ministries begin to say. And, and, and Paul says, listen, a mature body is going to be the ones that, that have the ability to spot these wrong philosophies, these wrong teachings, these heresies that are coming in that is trying to hijack the purpose of the church. A discerning church will know what it's supposed to be doing. It's not going to be blown to and fro and say, oh, we should be doing this, we should be doing this, we should be doing this. We have a mission to help people connect, grow, serve, and go. Anything beyond that, folks, we need to discern. And so we we need to be saying we're all together with this. We have unity of faith. We have discernment. But number three, we got to have love. Verse 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. You know, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13, Paul would talk about all of these spiritual gifts that have been given to these individuals in the church. But it seems like the believers in Corinth, they were trying to get the best gifts, the better gifts. They were using their gifts almost against one another. It's like, ah, ha, ha, I got a better gift than you. And Paul says, you know what? As you're scrambling to find those good gifts, the best gifts, you've forgotten about the responsibility that comes from having those gifts, and that responsibility is love. He says, you speak in tongues? Great. If you're not using that gift in love, then you're just making a noise. You give to the church? Great. But if you're not cooperating with others in the body in love, then you have not made one bit of difference. See, love is not an emotion. It's an action. Love is a verb, as DC Talk said back in the 90s. Love is a verb. Love sees what needs to be done and selflessly does it. Love sees what needs to be said and gently says it. Love picks up the weak, encourages the downhearted, links arms with brothers and sisters in order to do the work of the kingdom, gives of itself in the same manner in which Christ gave himself for the church. Love picks up the guy who has fallen down on the rocks in the river. That's what love does. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. That's what love does. So we are a great church. I love this church. I love you. It's a, this church is a great place, and many of our people have figured out the best way of living involves sacrifice. Because remember, the church works best when every member works. So I want to close today by answering the question that I started out with. What practical action can we take right now to take this next step? Just two things. First of all, let me encourage you to commit yourself for this next several months to discover your spiritual gift. Now, you could do that by taking tests and assessments, and that's fine, but I have found that the best way of discovering your spiritual gift is just by serving. Get involved with something. Get involved with something. Sign up. Start to serve. You might think, 
I don't like that one. That's fine. We've got like 19 other places you can sign up. So keep trying it. That's the way you're going to discover what you do best, what God has created you to do. Um, So just start serving, both in the body and outside the body. One day, I promise you, you will come away from something going, "Mm, yes, this is what I was created to do. I've I've had that happen to me. It's, it's an amazing blessing that God gives to us. When you walk away from something and go, yes, nobody can stop me from doing that again because that's exactly what God wants me to do. So discover your gift by serving. Test the waters. Get involved. And number two, then just commit yourself to use whatever gift God has given you for the good, not for you, but for the good of the body. Whatever your gift may be, Our church needs you. We need you. We need you to put those gifts to work because without them, we cannot possibly be what Jesus wants us to be. Now, I know a lot of you have already done that, and I'm grateful for that. But if you're not already serving somewhere, I want you to get plugged in. After the service, again, there's this practical way of putting feet to the message with the ministry fair. If you're already involved and working in your strengths already, Thank you. Keep it up. Don't spread yourself out too thin. I got some people who are so on fire for Jesus, they'll sign up for 12 12 things. And I'm going, oh, that's wonderful, but can you really truly do that? Be wise. Allow God's Spirit to lead you to the one or two, maybe three ministries to be involved in. Remember, if you do it all, then other people can't, right? So pick something. Pick one or two things and, and do that. Um, allow other people to reap the same blessing that you're uh, reaping by being involved. And protect yourself from burnout by saying no sometimes. But say no intelligently so that you can say yes intelligently to the right things at the right time. Now, if you are not involved, though, I pray that God moves you to a place where you can trust his word when he says that there is an important, valuable role for you to play. Are you willing to take the plunge? DC, why don't you bring all of the team? Now, did you notice on our worship team today, there were people from our uh, third service, from our second service, from our first service. I love that. For a, a cowboy church as well. That's, that's great. We, we've got some, some great people up here. So thank you guys for, for doing what you did. I, I just want to give you one last understanding. And remember, after the, uh, the service, uh, if you are a member and would like to, to uh, fill out a ballot to affirm um, uh, uh, Steve McCall as an elder, uh, please stick around to do that. Uh, people, that's what they're doing right now. They're giving out uh, these, the, um, the, uh, the ballots. But have you, when you watch TV, have you ever seen those cool car commercials where they, they show people doing some pretty crazy things out there. They're, they're going real fast. They're, they're, they're going around curves. They're, they're making jumps. Have you ever seen that? There, there, there's a little disclaimer at the bottom. Have you ever noticed what that disclaimer says? It says, please do not attempt. This was done by a professional on a closed course. There's one even that they showed a moon buggy on the moon, and they said, do not attempt this. I'm going, okay, I... I can guarantee you I will never take a moon buggy out on the moon. I, I, I won't do that. They say this is a professional on a closed course. What I want you to understand this is what's going on up here. This is not a professional on a closed course. And I'm not telling you don't attempt this. 
I want you to. I want you to. Because as you look at those car commercials and you see what they're doing, doesn't that look fun? Doesn't that just look exhilarating to be able to zoom around and to, to, to make those jumps? Folks, that's what Jesus has in store for you. If you'll not just let it be done by the professionals on a closed course. He invites you to get into that car and go and have a great time. And by doing so, our church will be prepared for what God has called us to do. Let me pray. And then we're going to close our service uh, with uh, a song. Aliyah, thank you very much for the, the Bible. Um, thank you very much, kiddo. I didn't steal it. That would be wrong. Let me pray. And again, make sure that you connect with people on your way out, uh, please. Um, we are a great church, and we're a very welcoming church, so let's do that today, okay? Father God, thank you so much for giving us your word and for challenging us to serve courageously. Because, Lord, when we come together and we do that, Lord, we are prepared to do all the things that you want us to do in this world. God, the, the church is the hope of a lost world, and so, God, we want to be able to be that kind of church. But in order to do so, God, we've got to be healthy. So, Lord, I would pray that you would stir the, in, in the hearts of those who need to be involved in ways that they have not yet been involved. Give them a, a supernatural time management so that they can give to you in a courageous way. And, God, may we make our light shine for you here at Palo Butte Christian Church so that those living in the darkness can see the way to go. I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.